of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and we are beginning today in this Psalm Project journey, book three. Uh, now, books three and four in the book of Psalms are the same length as far as chapters are concerned. They are each uh, 16 chapters, so they are the shortest two books um, of all five of them. So 73 through 89 that is book three, and then 90 through 106 uh, is um, book four. Actually, I guess uh, book four is one chapter longer, but um, they are the shortest books. So this one, book three, is the shortest one, 16, um, and then 90 through 106 is book four. So we are beginning book three, and um, it is attributed to Asaf. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, in, in so, at some point in this journey, I've mentioned that these psalms are attributed to different people. Uh, if you remember Psalm 72, I, I mentioned um, the title of Solomon. It could have been uh, written by Solomon. David did not write all of the psalms. He wrote many of them, but not all of them. And so um, this one is attributed to Asaph. And uh, so, so here we are, beginning in chapter 73. Um, it is a psalm that begins with an assertion that God is good. And you see this phrase throughout the book of Psalms, whether David or another psalmist, they will constantly say, God is good. And almost as if they're reminding themselves. And we could take a lesson from that that we need to constantly, unfortunately, remind ourselves of how good God is. Because tr the truth is, Jesus promised us that in this world we will have trouble. So there, there are difficulties in this life. And sometimes we get distracted by those difficulties. Let me give you an example. How many times when something bad happens, let's say a plane crash, for example, how many times do people begin to curse God when that happens? If God is loving, how could he allow this to happen? And yet, tens of thousands of times a day, all around the world, airplanes take off and land safely. And nobody ever attributes that to God. Well, God is protecting these people. And yet, the one time it happens, and God has his reasons for allowing these things to happen. Um, we, we don't know the mind of God. We cannot say that we know the mind of God, except that we know what he's given us in his word. Um, and so so sometimes we get distracted by these bad things that happen in our lives. And we need to constantly remind ourselves that God is good. And so this psalm is based on that assertion that God is good. And it's, it's a belief that is won only after a long struggle with what is observed in the world. We don't like to think about that, but as Christians, there, there's a toiling aspect to our faith. We wrestle. We struggle. That's part of our faith. And it is only after observing these and struggling with these things that we come to realize that God truly is God, is good. 
And it, it's confusing because this bad stuff happens in our own lives and in the lives of others. And often we see the prosperity of the wicked. How does good how how does good at all occur and happen to people who don't deserve it? Truly, we don't. No one deserves it. Uh, we we all deserve the wrath of God eternally. Uh, but we look at those who are blatantly wicked and not even children of God, don't even profess the name of Christ, and yet good things happen and they're prosperous. And so we struggle with these things. And so we have to bring ourselves back and refocus ourselves and, and realize that God is good to all. And so this is the theme of this book. Um, and it's also treated this way in Psalms 37, 49 and in the book of Job. And we see this often. Uh, Job did not curse God, but you can read the book of Job and see that he certainly questioned a lot of things. And that's part of our faith. And so here we are in Psalm 73, and it calls into question the prosperity of the wicked. Let's take a look at this. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You made them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. There's a lot here, just a, an incredibly deep psalm. And I'm going to break this down for you, beginning with verse 1, where the psalmist says, God is good to Israel. So 
what clouded the psalmist's heart and troubled his relationship with the Lord has been resolved. And we see that when you read the entirety of the psalm. He begins with questions, but then he makes a transition towards the middle or end of the psalm. Verse 2, he says, My feet had almost stumbled. In other words, I almost got there because I my focus was not where it needed to be. And obedient life is often compared to a walk along a straight path. Consider the book of Proverbs. The Lord will make your paths straight. You often hear the term the straight and narrow. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Often in scripture, the, the righteous way is compared to a straight path. And so the psalmist describes a sort of doubt and a skepticism with the image of falling off the path. Verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. He is speaking of the wicked here, and he's talking about their prosperity. Pride is their necklace. The prosperity of the wicked leads to the deeper sins of pride and violence, and, and many of us have experienced that. Pride becomes our downfall. The more we grow in pride, the more we sin. The more we sin, the more our pride grows until God breaks us. Verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. This is a figure for a heart made insensitive by overindulgence. Listen to this in um, uh, 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 9. They set their mouths against the heavens. So the proud are not afraid to talk as if they had created the world themselves. They leave God behind. Acts 20, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. This is a reference to uh, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Uh, who grew in, in pride at this time. And then, so that's why he says he doesn't know what will happen to him. And then he says, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city and that imprisonment and afflictions await me. These, uh, Paul was testifying to the grace and the mercy and the, the works of Jesus Christ. And yet these people who supposedly were religious people had abandoned God. And so this is a similar idea here. They speak against the heavens. This this happens even in the church. This is not this is not just talking about the world, uh, but look at our churches. Uh, recent in the recent years, I, I think uh, two or three years ago, maybe I read a Pew uh, study that uh, revealed that about twenty five percent of professing Christians had admitted to, at some point in the previous few years, consulting a medium or a psychic. Witchcraft. So how can we as the church do what God wants us to do when we are doing absolutely the opposite of what he has told us to do? In fact, we are disobeying him by participating in that kind of evil. And so these, these people, these enemies that this psalmist is talking about, well, I, I guess you could call them enemies, but these are, what he's talking about is the wicked, and he's growing discouraged because he sees the wicked's prosperity. And these are people that 
maybe are part of Israel, even, uh, part of God's chosen people, and yet they've abandoned God, and they've grown in pride so much that they set their mouths against the heaven and in the heavens, and in the same way, Paul encounters the Ephesians, and they persecute him, even though he's preaching the truth. Verse 13, all in vain I have kept my heart clean. These verses show the poet's attitude before he resolved the issue in his mind. Verse 15, if I had said, this is a phrase meaning that if he had broadcast his doubts and his complaints before coming to a solution, he would have instilled doubt in the community of God. And this is a good um, reminder that sometimes it is best to keep these things to ourselves. That is why scripture says it is better to be slow to speak. We need to be thoughtful with our words. I've been in leadership positions before where I couldn't just wear my emotions on my sleeve. And there are people that criticize that. Oh, be as open as you want with your emotions. And But sometimes that's not the wisest thing to do. Sometimes we need to just think a little bit. Let's calm down. Let's level out. Think about what we are going to say and how it will impact other people. And there is nothing wrong with keeping our thoughts to ourselves. Okay? Um, that, that is, that is something I, I think many people struggle with. We just say the first thing on the tip of our tongues and it gets us in trouble. I know it's happened to me before. It's probably happened to many people, but you know, the psalmist here is saying that if I had broadcast these doubts, it would have re- impacted the, the community of God in a dire way. Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. What is he talking about this? That is the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, the change for him happened when he entered the presence of God revealed in the temple. And he says, then I discerned their end. So even though the wicked prosper for a time, their final lot is destruction. Matthew 25, 41, a familiar verse. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So that is the ultimate end of the wicked. Verse 20. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, You despise them as phantoms. Like a dream, God will come in judgment against the wicked, and when he does, their prosperity will seem like a dream. It will end and seem like it wasn't even a real thing. Verse 22. I was brutish and ignorant. His negative emotions blocked clear thinking about God and his ways. So he's sort of making a confession here that this is what I was like until the Lord revealed the truth to me. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. God is close to the psalmist. He's close to the worshiper to counsel and guide him. And then verse 24. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. And while some may take this to refer to earthly fame and reputation, it's probably a reference to eternal glory. Nothing will break the intimate fellowship the psalmist enjoys with God. Romans 8 
38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is probably a reference to the eternal glory that the psalmist has in God. Uh, a, a very deep psalm, um, a mix of sort of confession, but also founded on the truth that God is good. And I think that's why the psalmist begins here with God is good. Even though he goes into these, this admittance of I doubted and I shouldn't have, um, he ends by saying, yeah, I here were my doubts, but then the Lord showed me and here's the truth that I saw. So a little bit of confession here, but also a, a psalm of praise to God, because even though the psalmist was confused as to why the wicked prosper, his confusion was resolved. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you, 73 and 74 have been set in a hymnic setting, so stanzas, and they each have 11 stanzas. Yes, 11 stanzas, so it may get a little long, repetitive, and redundant, I'm sorry, that's how this psalm worked out. So, um, it is in a minor key. Here is Psalm 73. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. For how they
Those far from you will surely die Who dealt with you unfaithfully But has for me I will draw nigh How good that God is Take in God the Lord that all